Welcome to the Freedom House Church weekend message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. today. For those of you I haven't had an opportunity to meet, my name is Diana Henderson, and my husband and I get to be the campus pastors for our South End campus. Woo-woo! And uh, for those of you not familiar, we are one house with many rooms. So this is one room. We also have our online campus and several friends joining us today. Will y'all just welcome them? What's up? Glad you guys are with us. We've got our Lake Norman campus as well. We're just taking over the city. Yeah, right? Well, my husband, uh, Matt, and I have been at Freedom House for 13 years. Feels, feels like a long time, but time flies when you're having fun, right? And we get to serve in so many different capacities. One of my favorite places to serve is on our teaching team. If you're not familiar, we have a teaching team at Freedom House, and it's a group of communicators that our senior pastors have assembled to rotate around each of our campuses every weekend to bring you a live word of God. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing, especially because not many senior pastors are willing to share their platform, but ours are. You know why? They recognize that each of us have gifts that can be used to serve the kingdom. And they ask and challenge and lead us to do that. Will you guys just join me in giving our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, some honor? They are truly amazing leaders of leaders. Well, we are in a series this summer called You Asked For It. I feel like you have to say it with emphasis. So turn to your neighbor and say, you asked for it. And this series is all about answering the tough questions that people have. Now, before we get into the message for today, I first want to put something to rest. It is okay to ask questions. In fact, it's healthy to ask questions. I often hear from people after service on Sunday and they'll say, I am so glad that we covered that topic because I was curious about it, but I was afraid to ask. In fact, I hear that people are afraid to ask questions often. Why are they afraid? A couple different reasons. The first, they're afraid or embarrassed to not know the answer. But let me just tell you, there is no such thing as a stupid question, only that of one not asked. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock 
and it will be open to you. God tells us in Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. You know, there's a leader in the marketplace by the name of Phil McKinney, and he is an innovation advisor. Sounds like a pretty cool job, right? He advises companies like NASA, Disney, Procter & Gamble, Hewlett Packard, all on their innovation strategies. Now, he said there are five great reasons to ask questions, and I thought I would share those with you today. Number one, when you ask a question, you discover something new. Imagine that. You learn something when you ask a question. Number two, you put things together. In other words, you connect dots of things that might not otherwise have seemed related without asking questions. Number three, you remember things. My favorite candy is gummies. I'm so glad that you asked because now you will remember that for the future. Number four, you resolve issues. Anyone in here ever been in an argument with someone else? All right, we got some honest people in church today. I like it. Well, have you ever figured out that after the argument, after asking a couple of questions, you realize that maybe there were some assumptions made and maybe there was just some misconceptions? So you can resolve things by asking questions. And then lastly, you understand people better. Amen to that. I think our world today needs to be asking each other a lot more questions. You know, my husband always says that I should have been an interrogator. Because I will come home from like social parties and I have everybody's life story. And Matt is like, how in the world did you find out about that woman's cousins, brothers, sisters, friends, you know. And I'm like, well, I just ask them a lot of questions. Good thing I'm a pastor, right? You know, the second most common reason that people are afraid to ask questions, they are afraid to appear as if they're questioning or challenging. People say, well, I was afraid to ask you that because I didn't want you to think that I was challenging what you said. Well, let me just tell you, there's a difference between questioning and asking questions. If I am questioning, I'm doing so with skepticism. I'm doing so with doubt. If I'm asking questions, I'm seeking to understand. I want to learn. I'm inquiring. And then you get those questions from your kids that you end up answering with a question because it's just easier. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When my son was four, we had just brought our second daughter home from the hospital. And I was nursing her. And my son walks in and he goes, Mama, where does milk come from? And I'm like, oh, okay. Um. Well, uh, uh, how do I tell a four-year-old this without getting into a hole? And I just said, you know what, Miles? Where do you think that milk comes from? And he looks me straight in the eye and goes, not from a bucket. And he turns around and walks out of the room. I was like, answer, there's your answer right there. Not from a bucket. Milk doesn't come from there. Asking questions is healthy. It's a means of seeking to understand. It's a way to grow our knowledge. So that brings me to the tough question that we're going to address today. Should women preach or lead in ministry? Bam. Yep. I just went there, and I want us to go there together today. Now, what's my source for today's conversation? The Bible. 
the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Y'all ready for this? Okay, and since we're stepping on toes, I thought we would just start with a scripture that is most debated around this topic. In fact, I want to start with the position of why women shouldn't preach in ministry. Y'all ready? Okay, we're just stepping on toes today all over the place. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Any woman in here just feel like the wind got knocked out of your sails? Okay, good. Because that's what the scripture is supposed to do. It's supposed to teach us, and it doesn't always feel good. But here's the thing. So many people stop. They read that, and then they stop. We're supposed to dive in. So I want us to dive in, and we're going to do so by asking a question. The scripture says the woman is not to usurp authority over a man. What does the word usurp mean? Well, I had to look it up. It means to take a position of power or importance illegally or by force. Last time I checked, I did not win an arm wrestling match against my husband in order to earn an opportunity to preach the Bible. This scripture is saying not that a woman steps all over a man in the process of making it to the platform to preach the Bible. In fact, it's saying that the woman takes authority in teaching the Bible because she is under authority. Let me say that one more time. A woman takes authority in preaching the Bible because she is under authority. You see, God's kingdom has order. It has structure. In fact, the Bible tells us that Christ is head of the man, that man is head over his wife, and then God is head over Christ. I like to think of it as a covering. Jesus, Christ, is the covering over the man, and the man is the covering over his wife. But here's the thing about a covering. We have to be willing to step under the covering in order to receive its benefit. Y'all heard the word submission? Makes us do that, doesn't it? That was like a twitch. That was, I was trying to twitch for you guys. Well, we've heard in several messages recently that the word submission is not weakness. Its literal definition, sub, means under. Mission means the mission of God. So when you are in submission, you are under the mission of God. Pastor Aaron is going to help me out today with this umbrella. It represents a covering. Now, this covering offers what? Shelter and protection. But here's the thing. I have to be willing to step under the covering in order to receive its benefit. If I'm outside of the covering, what's happening? My hair's getting messed up and wet in the rain. I might be subject to lightning. Ah! Stepping undering, under the covering is protection. And when a woman steps into the pulpit to preach the gospel, she's not only doing so under the covering, but under the authority of her husband. Y'all with me? You tracking with me? That scripture says not to usurp authority under, over the man. Is that singular or plural? Singular. The man is referencing her husband. All right, Pastor Aaron, thank you so much. Give him a hand, y'all. Anyone's toes hurting? 
You doing okay? All right, well, let's keep going then. Another scripture why women shouldn't preach. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 34. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Now, I know you're going, uh, Pastor, that one clearly says that women are not supposed to preach or speak for that matter in church. But here's the thing. It is so important that we read and teach the Bible in context. Out of context, there's misinterpretation. Y'all want to learn a new word today? You guys are smart, so you might already know this one, but I had to look this one up. Contextomy. Contextomy. It's when you cherry pick words from their original context, you distort the source's intended meaning. It's also known as cherry picking or quoting out of context or quote mining. It's basically fallacy. Now, this concept of quote mining is used quite often in the media. In fact, I think we're seeing a lot of this today. Y'all with me? But quote mining is also used in advertising. In fact, in 1995, New Line Cinema released its thriller movie, Seven. You guys remember that movie? They spelled it S-E-7-E-N, which I'm like, how does a seven equal a V? Anyway, this movie, they were excited about it. So they took a quote from a critic from Entertainment Weekly, and they called it a small masterpiece. Well, here's the thing. That critic from Entertainment Weekly actually referenced the movie as a small masterpiece of dementia. They were referencing that the movie moved all around and had all these different characters that you couldn't keep up. They took that quote out of context for their benefit. Or how about this one? I love this um, sign from Wendy's. They claim that their secret ingredient is their people. And good news, they're hiring. Now, if I were to take this out of context, I might think that Wendy's was grinding up men, women, and children to put in their burger mix. But clearly, that is not the case. It's important that we understand things in context. Now, let's go back to the Bible. That scripture that we just read about women being silent, Paul said that. Now, Paul is a credible source. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and was, was pretty paramount in moving forward the kingdom of God. But what was happening in this scripture is there was a group of women within the Corinthian church that were acting fools and causing an issue. So when Paul wrote this letter, he was telling all of the women to be quiet because of this small group of women that were causing an issue. Anyone know any women that can get loud? All right, man, I tried to set you up there, but you guys did good. All right, well, my hand is raised, and I'm talking about myself. I am loud and proud, and that's okay because that's how God made me. But I also know that my strengths in excess are weaknesses. And what was happening in this case is there was a group of women that were getting loud, and they were causing an issue. I'm not saying that they were amening or hallelujahing too loud. They were causing discourse within the church. And so Paul silenced all of the women and the women only to bring order back into the church. Let me put it this way. I have three children, and when any two of them are acting up, I will give them the evil mom stink eye. 
Y'all have that too? Come on, moms. You got a stink eye? Show it to me. Okay. Well, I give them the stink eye and I say, if you guys don't start behaving, all of you are going to experience the wrath of mama. And inevitably, one of them will go, but I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, it doesn't matter. All of you will experience the wrath of mama. Or how about in grade school? You guys remember in homeroom when there was a group of kids that were causing an issue? And the teacher would say, if the whole class does not behave, you will lose recess, every single one of you. In other words, the few would ruin it for the majority. That's what was happening in the scripture. There was a group of women that were out of order. And Paul issued the decree for them all to be silent because of this one group. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So the scripture clearly is not precluding women from preaching or leading in ministry. But were there any women in the Bible that held leadership positions? Let's check it out. Deborah in the Old Testament. She was a prophetess and a judge. In fact, she was given authority to rule and govern over people's issues and disputes. They brought their issues to her for her to govern the outcome. She was such a big deal that if she was in today's time, there would be a TV show after her called Judge Debbie. <laughs> Esther in the Old Testament. She didn't hold a formal position in leadership to start, but God used her to save a nation of Jewish people from evil authority. And then she was crowned queen. How about New Testament? Phoebe. In the New Testament, she was a deacon. And in the book of Romans, Paul, same guy who told the Corinthian women to hush their holes, said this about her. In Romans 16, chapter 1, or chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Syncreae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul also highlights Junia. And Junia served in prison alongside of Paul because of her position of leadership in ministry. Paul says this about her in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. There were many women in leadership in the Bible and many women who preached, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment. But how do we know that any of us, man, woman, black, white, yellow, brown, tall, short, how do we know that any of us are called to preach or teach the Bible? I love what Galatians 3.28 says. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So how do we know that any of us are called to preach or teach the Bible? Three reasons, and I would encourage you to take some notes. Number one, we are empowered by grace. We are empowered by grace. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3.8. Although I am less than the least 
of all of God's people. This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, it's not by human qualification. It's grace that empowers me to be able to do what I do. And it's a darn good thing. Because you know where Paul was when he said this? He was in prison, thrown in there by humans because of human standards. You know, there's a story um, in the book of uh, John, chapter 4. And Jesus, in this story, is leaving Judea and he's headed back to Galilee. Now, along the way, he stops in a Samaritan village and he plops down on Jacob's well. This Samaritan woman is approaching the well at that time, and Jesus says, can I get a drink of water? Now the Samaritan woman is like, uh. You see, Samaritans and Jews did not interface in public. In fact, their races had a long lineage of battling. So it was a little shocking to her when Jesus openly addressed her in public. So he says, can I get a drink of water? And the woman's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. And Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking for living water. Now the woman's like, I want some of that living water. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. And Jesus is like, okay, go get your husband. And she's like, well, you know, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, oh, I know. You've had five husbands. I got your number. In fact, the guy that you're with now is not your husband. And the woman's like, you are a prophet. And Jesus says, no, I'm the Messiah. Now this woman runs back to her village and she tells all the other Samaritans about her encounter with Jesus. Here's where we pick up in the book of John chapter four, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him being Jesus because of the woman's witness. He knew all about the things I did, she said. He knows me inside and out. They asked him to stay on. So Jesus stayed two days. A lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, we no longer take, we're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves, and we know it for sure. He's the savior of the world. Where does grace come from? Paul says it was given to him. It was a gift. Grace means unmerited favor. And what I love about this story, here's this woman, nameless, full of sin, and she has this radical encounter with Jesus. And then God uses her encounter with Jesus to save a village of people. Grace qualifies her. Grace qualifies me. Grace qualifies you. Number two, how we know that any of us are called to preach or teach the Bible. We are ministers by the Spirit. We are ministers by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, He has made us competent as ministers. Y'all say that with me. Competent as ministers. One more time. Competent as ministers. He being God. Of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, 
the Spirit gives life. You see, the letter that's referenced in the scripture is, is coming from the Old Testament. It's the law of Moses. Because in the Old Testament, there was a separation between God and us. God was perfection. We were imperfection. But in the New Testament, Jesus dies. He represents the new covenant. And we no longer had to appeal to the law. Now we had direct access to God, spirit to spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And this scripture is answering a question from a couple scriptures prior saying, who is sufficient for these things? In other words, who is qualified for these things? And it's saying that we are God-made ministers, not man-made ministers. God-made ministers. And what's more is God equips us with spiritual gifts that are fitting for ministry. After Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, there were three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome. And they go down to the tomb because they were going to anoint Jesus' body. It was an old Jewish burial uh, practice. Now, when they get there, some of you may know the story. The stone had been rolled away. The tomb is empty. And they come into contact with this man wearing all white. Who do you think that was? An angel. And this is what the angel says to them in Mark chapter 16, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell the disciples. And Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. You know what I love about this? Is Jesus worked through that angel to tell them to share the good news that Jesus had risen. Sounds a lot like preaching to me. And here's the thing. God equipped them with supernatural to be ministers that day. You know what he did? He let them encounter an angel. I don't know about you, but that's not an everyday occurrence, right? They literally had a conversation with an angel in the flesh. And the second thing, they got to witness firsthand the resurrection, an empty tomb. Not many of us can say that we were there that day and saw the empty tomb. They were witnesses. What I love about these women is that they had the opportunity to walk with Jesus during his three and a half years of ministry. They knew him. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him open blind eyes. They saw him beaten. They saw him flogged, hung on the cross to die, and then his body handed over to Joseph to be buried. These women, God couldn't have picked better witnesses. They were there. I love what Acts chapter 2 verse 32 says. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Last one, number three, how we know that any of us are called to preach or teach the Bible. We are commissioned to make disciples. We are commissioned to make disciples. You know, following Jesus' 40 days back on earth. So he dies, he ascends into heaven, and then he comes back to earth for 40 days. 
And he's having a conversation with the disciples and all that were with them. And this is what he says to them in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them. Who did he say it to? Them. Doesn't say him. Doesn't say men. It says them. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Other translations say, announce the message. Proclaim the good news. I don't hear anything restrictive in that scripture. Do you? Meaning Jesus didn't say, uh, caveat, women, don't you be preaching to men. You can only share the Bible with little children or with other women. No. Jesus said to them, all of them, go and preach the gospel to all creation. Share the good news with everyone. I love Psalm 68, verse 11. It says, the Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. You know, that word throng in the Hebrew means a force to be reckoned with. A few years ago, my husband and I went back to his hometown to visit his family. And he's from what I call the sticks of Virginia. It's like back country, like middle of nowhere. And whenever we go back there, we do all sorts of country stuff, like ride four wheelers and float the river. And uh, this particular day we were floating the river, which really means kayaking down the river. I'm like, why don't you just call it kayaking? Anyway. So we're floating the river and we're on the Jackson River. And if you guys know anything about the Jackson River, they dam it in order to cool the local paper mill. So this river stays 60 degrees year round. That is cold water, y'all. On a hot 90 degree day, that water's kind of refreshing. But this particular day, it was 68 degrees outside. That water was cold. And then the clouds came in. And then the clouds opened, and it started to pour down the rain, as they say in the south. And we were soaking wet, and I was cold, and I was miserable. Now, my husband knows when I'm miserable, he is also miserable. So um, he was smart. He's a smart guy. He said, uh, I'm going to call my uncle to come get her so that we don't have to ride the rest of these two hours on the river with her, you know. So... We go around the bend, and my husband's uncle's there waiting, with, waiting for me with a towel. And we get in his truck, and we drive back to Matt's parents' house. And as we pull into the driveway, I'm about to get out of the truck, and I look back at Uncle Jim, Matt's uncle. And he is, like, sobbing. I mean, tears streaming down his cheeks. Now, let me just tell you, Uncle Jim is a big dude. He is, like, burly hairy man, like just big dude. In fact, we call his hands like Fred Flintstone hands because he's just got these like massive, like king-size candy bar fingers, like big dude. Y'all get the picture, right? Big guy. And he's sobbing. And I look at him, I'm like, uh, Uncle Jim, did I say something to offend you? And he's like, Diana, I just can't do this anymore. I have no purpose. 
I just, there's nothing left for me to live for. Would you know that the Holy Spirit worked through me that day? And I was able to invite Uncle Jim into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uncle Jim now serves the Lord. He's a deacon in his church, and he is radical after Jesus. I am so glad that God used a woman that day to save Uncle Jim's life. I love the scripture in Romans 10, verse 15. It says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Will you guys stand to your feet? And you know, I just want to take a moment where we can just shut out everything else that's going on in the world. Will you guys just join me and just bow your heads and close your eyes? No distractions, no looking around. We've been talking about what qualifies us to preach. Are women qualified? Are they able to preach? And we've learned that it's not about human qualification. It's about grace, unmerited favor that came at a price. You see, Jesus died on the cross and paid a price so that we could have that unmerited favor. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what's happening in your world. But if you have not yet invited Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Or maybe you're in here and you just need a fresh start, an opportunity just to hit that reset button and say, okay, I surrender, I give it up, and Jesus, come take this burden from me. If that's you, would you guys just lift up your hand? I just want to pray for you. Just right now, no one's looking around. Just lift your hand. If you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior today, I see your hand. Or if you want a fresh start, a do-over with the King of Eternity, just lift your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. If you're online, you can just click the hand in the chat bar too. We want to give you that opportunity as well. You can put your hands down. And church, I just want to lead us all in a prayer. If you'll just repeat after me, everyone join in. This is a, a good declaration and reminder for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to pay a hefty price for my sins in exchange for salvation. Thank you. Today I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And today I want to invite him into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.